You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. On this week's broadcast, we will share a few of those reflections with you. And so we'd encourage you to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me to uh, learn our faith together. Uh, Today's uh, show is about marriage, and Bishop Sheen will be giving two reflections. One will be a catechism lesson uh, on the topic of marriage, and the other one will be from his television series, Life is Worth Living, and that broadcast was entitled Tensions in Marriage. Now, many of us have experienced tensions uh, over the years. Many of us who have been married for, uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been married, I think you can experience tension, but uh, Bishop Sheen addressed that topic, uh, and you can just imagine the millions that tuned into that broadcast, and the talk around the water cooler the next day, Uh, so we're going to enjoy that today. Uh, But before we do that, let's begin with some prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. Please enjoy now this reflection entitled, Tensions in Marriage, by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Friends, in the course of the last 20 or 25 years, received hundreds of thousands of letters presenting problems of the home and problems of the heart. It was only natural, therefore, that we should get on the inside of tens of thousands of marriages. And if it please you, tonight we will talk about one phrase of what is said in the marriage ceremony, namely, for better or for worse. I wonder why Cupid is always presented so young. Is it because love never grows up? Why does he have an arrow? Maybe it's because love is something that wounds. But in any case, this evening we will discuss, first of all, some tensions that are common to all marriages, and then some particular problems that are peculiar only to certain marriages. First of all, tensions in general, and these are three. By tensions, we mean uh, those things that pull in an opposite direction, like a kind of tug of war, 
There's nothing wrong about them. As a matter of fact, they're just simply a native almost to human existence. And they're common in a certain sense not only to the love of husband and wife, but they're common even in that higher region of mysticism, the love of souls for God. We shall not speak of them in the higher realm tonight, but first of all, the tension of unity and separateness. We shall draw a line here to indicate that there is a pull between the two. First of all, unity. It's the nature of all love. The desire to become one with that which is loved. God loved man. God was found in the form and in the habit of man. There's something about all human affection which wants the I to be absorbed into the thou. For we are, each of us, conscious of our own imperfection, and we seek to supplement that and to atone for it by losing ourselves in another. But while this craving for unity is basic to all love, nevertheless, there is also a tremendous amount of separateness in all human affection. Sometimes at the moment of the greatest unity, there is the consciousness of greatest separateness. And one is thrown back, even when he would love upon himself, and upon the mysteriousness of his own being. Though personality would be lost in another, nevertheless, personality confronts itself. Why does this condition exist? I found it existed in the spiritual realm some time ago when I was giving a retreat at the Trappist Monastery. And I asked one of the monks, what was the greatest trial in the monastery? I thought perhaps he would say fasting, penances, long vigils, seven or eight hours of prayer a day. But he said, no. He said, each of us wants to be united to God. And yet, he said, we find that we are not united to him the way that we want because of our own imperfection. And this constitutes our greatest sorrow. But coming back to the level of human beings, the reason why... Uh, there is separateness, despite the craving for unity, is this. We are composed of body and soul. So here are two. Those are circles. That's a bad one, isn't it? Uh, this represents the material part of existence, not that matter takes up one part of us and soul another, because the soul fuses the whole body. But just to graphically illustrate for us the fact that we are both material and spiritual. Matter is the basis of impenetrability. But the mere fact that anything is material, it can never become completely united with anything else that is material. For example, this piece of chalk cannot be one with this blackboard. It is only when we get into the realm of spirit that we find unity. For example, we know certain things we separate them from their materiality by knowing them. They're united very closely to our own mind. As long as, therefore, a person learns a poem, say, 
he is united with another person who knows the same poem. I have trouble with my yarmulke tonight. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, the more things we know in common, the more we are united. But it is this materiality in human beings that keeps them apart. Therefore, it follows that in marriage, the more emphasis there is upon the material, or the corporal or the body, the less real unity of soul there is, and therefore the greater consciousness of separateness. And the more the emphasis is upon the spirit, the greater is the unity. This is the first of the tension. I shall speak of the second in a moment. I shall give my little angel a chance to... Uh, clean my blackboard. And now that I'm speaking on marriage, you've heard that uh, a very old one treated, therefore, with becoming respect about the man who said he was married to an angel because his wife was always splitting about. She was constantly in the air and she never had anything to wear. <laughs> oh, it didn't take that long to get it, certainly. <laughs> the second tension... is the tension between the personal and the social. All love, by its very nature, is personal. Two is company. Three is a crowd. Sex is replaceable, but love is not. Because love is always directed to a particular person. No one in all the world, for example, can take the place of a mother. The love is that person. The ideal, therefore, in love is where the I and the thou tend, as it were, to approach one another to surrender their egotism in some great merging of personality. But though this is the ideal, the very fact that there is love of person for person, there is something that issues from it, namely, the social, the family. That is why in the love of one for the other, there is something that is automatic. There's almost something that escapes. As if God controlled that in order to assure the continuance of society. And though love tends to persons, nevertheless, it goes out like this until there is a mutual incarnation of love in the begetting of the family. does not mean that this spoils this. Actually, it is this perfection. But we're merely indicating that there is some kind of tension between the two. I imagine in the chemical order, we've never investigated it, but it's very likely that hydrogen goes around a great deal with oxygen. And hydrogen would like to be alone with oxygen. And yet, they go run around together, what happens? 
something different results. And thus, rivers flee the decay of stagnant self-content in the ocean. And husband and wife and their love for one another find that they are creating something greater than themselves, which is the family. Another tension is the tension between longing and satisfaction. First of all, longing. All the poetry of love is a cry and a moan. That is because each and every one of us recognizes his or her own finiteness, and therefore we crave for something outside of ourselves. And while on the one hand there is this longing, on the other hand there comes the moment of satiety and satisfaction so that very often human beings oscillate between being loved too little and being loved. You guessed it, too much. Or something like cats. You pick up a cat. Cat wants to be petted. It purrs. Other times, it'll scratch your eyes out when you try to pet. I always liked the little girl who said one day uh, to her mother when the uh, cat was purring, "Mama, the cat's gone to sleep and left its engine running." <laughs> and this tension between the two is very much like the boy who asked his mother for the third dish of ice cream, and the mother said. When he couldn't eat it, see, too much ice cream. He says, no, not enough boy. <laughs> we are not wrong in wanting complete satisfaction. It just happens that, well, our souls and our hearts are not big enough. And thus there is this pull between the two. Uh, one who has put it into a song is Jimmy Durante. And I shall be one man on a stage who will not attempt to imitate the inimitable. And I will merely tell you what Jimmy does. Remember, Jimmy starts to go out the door, and he takes off his yarmulke, and then he puts it back on again. And he takes off his coat, and then he puts it back on again. And he said, have you ever had a feeling that you wanted to stay? Have you ever had a feeling that you wanted to go? <laughs> and that's the way it is with the human heart. Now put all of these tensions together, and what's the answer? Well, the answer of some people is, life is a snare delusion, and therefore the best thing to do is to find a substitute, because you're no longer satisfied. That's just exactly like adding zeros. That never gives any satisfaction. In vain will any man think that he will ever produce a melody by picking up a succession of violins. After all, God made us this way, there had to be a reason for it. And there is some satisfaction to be found in this fact that we are torn to summarize all the tensions between the chase and the capture. That's our human problem. 
in all affection and in all love. There's great joy in the chase. There's great joy in the killing of the game. There's great joy in romance. There's a great joy in marriage. Marriage often kills the romance. With the romance alone, there's no marriage. <laughs> What's the answer? Well, the answer is this. After all, we were made right. And if we would use our head, we could see that we want both. And we ought to have both. But we'll not have it both here below. This tension will be solved only in heaven, where we will achieve and capture the infant. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> did you know I was offered a scholarship by an art school? I draw so badly, they really did write to me and offer me a scholarship. <laughs> they hated to see art dragged in the mire. <laughs> I can't blame them either. This is the mathematical infinite. When we capture that mathematical infinite, it's going to take us an eternity of chase to sound its depths. In other words, when we attain and capture the great love of God, not even eternity will be long enough to chase this ecstasy. And all then that human beings have on this earth is merely a note, but the melody is beyond. They have the spark, but not the flame. Let them be assured that all of the words are not written on the cover of a book. There are great mysteries that are still sealed that will one day be solved. These are the tensions peculiar to all marriages. Now there are other difficulties that are peculiar to some. For example, a marriage in which, say, the husband is an alcoholic. Or a marriage in which the wife is a spendthrift. Or a marriage in which the husband is unfaithful. A marriage in which the wife is always nagging. A marriage in which he is a beast or a marriage in which she is impossible. What are you going to do in a case like that? Stick it up. Why? Suppose the husband, instead of being an alcoholic, had pneumonia. Would you, the wife, nurse him and care for him? He has moral pneumonia. He's spiritually sick. Why abandon him? If you have a child with polio, you give up the child. 
believing wife sanctifieth the unbelieving husband. And the believing husband sanctifieth the unbelieving wife. In other words, there can be a transfusion of power from one to the other. And sometimes the condition upon which one is made better is perseverance in love. There was a, a young German girl at the close of the World War, this last one. Very learned, intelligent, had read Homer at 17, was a musician. She was courted by one of our American GIs. She married him. They came to this country. She discovered that he wanted only to read Western stories, sit in a saloon, refused to work. She had to support both of them, and she wrote to me, and she said, I was thinking of divorce, but I know that if I divorce him, I'm contributing to the ruin of civilization. It does not mean, she said very much, if I pull my own individual finger out of that dam, just a little water will come through. But if every woman in the world in a similar situation does the same, then the flood tides will sweep over the world. So I'm going to stick it out, but I cannot stick it out without faith. Will you help me get it? So we did. I may tell you now, an officer in the army, a different kind of a man, and the raising a fine family. Remember there are certain things that we have in us that was never meant once they were given out to be taken back. The air we breathe, for example, if we take that air back upon ourselves, it poisons us. And so when love goes out from the human heart, it was never meant to be taken back. And if it is taken back, it suffocates and it poisons us. Our great democracy does not desert the soldiers when they are wounded on the battlefield. There are many a soldier now in the muck and mud who does not like his second lieutenant or his sergeant. But he's sticking it out. The reason he's doing it is because he knows that the institutions of government and of free peoples must continue to exist, and he must sacrifice, as a great president said in the great inaugural address, to sacrifice his own individual privileges for the sake of the community. So too it behooves that there be other heroes than on the battlefields alone, namely heroes that are in the home. Therefore, husbands and wives, that when the time has passed, when the other ceases to give joy and pleasure, they will nevertheless consider the other partner now as an opportunity for service. Once before they were a gift, either to him or to her, now they begin to be looked upon as a gift of God. Therefore, courage and fidelity and loyalty in the home, 
We must not expect our soldiers alone to have that virtue. There has always been a tradition on the sea that a captain will go down with a ship. May we have that tradition in the American home where the husband or the wife, as the case may be, will go down with a ship for the sake of honor, for the sake of God, for the sake of America. Our sincere thanks to the Fulton J. Sheen Company, who has given us permission to share these broadcasts with you today. I invite you to make Bishop Sheen a part of your family audio and video collection. You can call them toll-free at one 866 357 4336 or visit the official website for purchasing Catholic family videos and DVDs of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's recordings from the Catholic television series Life is Worth Living. The web address is www.bishopsheen.com You will find rare collections of Catholic family video recordings addressing a variety of topics such as morality, Mary the Mother of God, angels, Catholic Holy Days, and other faith-based subjects. So call toll-free today, 1-866-357-4336. Again, 1-866-357-4336. And on the web, www.bishopsheen.com. And on behalf of Bishop Sheen, God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I hope you enjoyed those reflections on marriage, and um, you know, I think... (laughs) Bishop Sheen, he he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to talk about the tensions in marriage. You know, today, uh, you know, what uh, television uh, talk show host and radio announcer sometimes wants to uh, say it like it is. Uh, We get a little nervous, you know. Do we want to be politically correct? Uh, But uh, Bishop Sheen never worried about that, Uh, the whole topic of political correctness. He wanted to be right with God. And that's how he based his talk was, again, against scripture and tradition and uh, wisdom, the wisdom of the church. And so, uh, again, it's refreshing to hear his uh, opinions on many things. And so now we're going to uh, go into the catechism lesson on marriage. And uh, we are blessed with this catechism series that we've been sharing uh, over the years here. And, um, you know, it's something, this 50-part series, these 50 lessons that Bishop Sheen put together many years ago, uh, served so many, uh, so served so well. And uh, I know I keep brushing up on my faith by listening to these catechism talks. So again, hopefully you're feeling the same. And so please sit back and relax now and enjoy this reflection on the topic of marriage. Peace be to you. It is fitting that there be something special said to young married couples. There is nothing more beautiful in this world than 
two young people in love. Now, in order that their love may endure, it is fitting that they recognize some of the great spiritual and psychological differences between them. We will briefly enumerate a few of those and then point out some of the tensions that are to be expected in married life and which can easily be resolved. First of all, as regards the spiritual differences between a man and a woman, man generally marries to have a woman. A woman generally marries to have a child. Another difference is this. Man looks to the pleasure in marriage. Woman looks to the fruition and the purpose of that pleasure. Thirdly, man gives reasons for loving a woman. He will say, I love you because you are beautiful. I love you because you were good and virtuous. A woman never gives reasons. She gives herself. Surrender is its own reason for love. Another difference. Man is quicker to love than a woman. He is quicker to love because he can love an aspect or a part or an experience with a woman. But a woman is slower to love. She will not love until she can give herself totally and completely. That means that she has to wait longer in order that she might discover all of the inspirations there are for her great act of self-oblation. And another difference. A man is afraid of dying before he has lived. A woman is generally afraid of dying before she has begotten life. Now these differences, once they are understood can be used to help reconcile any difficulties that may appear. And the difficulties are called tensions, and we are going to enumerate five of them. Tensions that are to be expected in every marriage, not because of a defect in the persons, but simply because these tensions are just part of our fallen human nature. The first tension is this, between wanting and not wanting love. You really never know one another until you are married. Courtship is a kind of a masked ball. And in marriage, we take off the masks and we see ourselves as we really are. As the poet has put it, Yes, I answered you last night. No, I say to you today. Colors seen by candlelight 
do not look the same by day. There can be a change. The human heart can reach a point where it has too much love and wishes to be loved no longer. Remember the poem of Francis Thompson? He told how he picked up a child to hold and how the child resisted and cried and kicked to get down. And on reflecting, he wondered if that's not the way some souls are before God. They are not ready to be loved by him. And so too in the human order, there comes a tug every now and then between wanting love and not wanting it. What is the mysterious chemistry inside of the human heart which makes it swing between a feeling that it is not loved enough and the feeling at times that it is loved too much. Torn between longing and satiety, craving, disgust, desire, satisfaction, the human heart asks, why should I be that way? When satiety comes, the thou disappears in the sense that it is no longer wanted. When longing reappears, the thou becomes a necessity. Love too much, there is discontent. Love too little, there is emptiness. Now this is what you are going to feel, but do not be cynical about it. There's a reason why you are this way. And the reason is this. You were made for the great sacred heart of love, and no one but God can satisfy you. Your heart is right in wanting the infinite, but your heart is wrong in trying to make its finite companion the substitute for the infinite. The solution of this tension is in seeing that the disappointments which it brings are just so many reminders that love is God's love on pilgrimage. Both the being loved too much and the being loved too little can go together when seen in the light of God. When this longing for infinite love is envisaged as a yearning for God, then the finiteness of our earthly love reminds us of the words of St. Augustine. Our hearts were made for thee, O Lord. And they are restless until they rest in thee. Just keep in mind this fact. In every marriage, man promises a woman something that only God can give. And in every marriage, every woman promises a man something that only God can give. And that is the reason of the pull between the too little 
and too much. The too little because we want God. The too much because the human cannot completely satisfy. Now there's another tension that you will feel. And this is very basic to human nature. The tension between wanting to be one with another person and at the same time feeling so alone. Almost alone together. There will come moments when yourself is lost in another. And then afterwards a terrific sense of being thrown backwards on your own solitary personality. Why is this? The reason is because there's nothing material or fleshy or carnal in the world that can unite. You just try making two blocks of marble one. Why can't you unite them? Because they are material. The flesh alone, and here I emphasize alone, the flesh alone cannot unite. Only the soul, the spirit can unite. For example, if we learn together the Our Father, my knowledge of the Our Father does not deprive you from learning it. And if we pray together, we are much more one than we could be in any material fashion. It is the spirit that unites. And therefore, the flesh is the means to unity. You see, it's not an obstacle to unity. Your flesh is a means to unity because it is bound up with the soul. And to the extent that love loses its soul, it loses its unity and its sense of oneness. When the spirit is gone, there's left only body proximity with boredom and fatigue. Now this passion for a crescendo of intimacy until oneness is achieved cannot be completely satisfied in the physical order because after the act of unity, there remains the status of two distinct personalities, each with his own individual mystery. You see the paradox? Souls of lovers aspire to unity, but the body alone, though it is the momentary symbol of that unity, is of and by itself exclusive of unity. The flesh is impervious to that kind of unity which alone can satisfy the spirit. Now, there's no marriage in the world that is free from this tension. And the tension increases, too, as the body will go through the motions of love without the soul. And you will find that the tension of the body decreases as the soul loves. There's an escape, therefore, from this tension. 
We are not to be cynical about it. And the greatest relief of this tension is the begetting of children. For here, this seeming disproportion that is felt between the passion for unity on the one hand and the failure to make it permanent on the, on the other is compensated for by the child. Because the child becomes the new bond of unity outside of father and mother. Husband and wife will never feel the emptiness of their relations one with another when their relations are filled up with a new body and soul, soul directly infused by God the Creator. God made man right. And man is unhappy if he tries to frustrate these laws. The children, therefore, are the answer to the paradox of the aloneness together. They are the link that binds the lovers together, body and soul. That brings us to the third tension. It is a tension between the unending ecstasy of love, which is dreamed about, and the way love actually turns out in marriage. There are some who become cynical about it, which one should not. If one starts with the assumption that the other person is God, well, then one is doomed to drink the bitter dregs of disappointment. We must not, therefore, attribute too much to the other party. If we do, we are going to feel let down. Because the other partner did not give all he promised to give, which he's incapable of giving. Only God can give it, as we said. Repeat, because the other party did not give all that he promised to give, sometimes the other feels betrayed and deceived and disappointed and cheated. In other words, I entered this marriage to be supreme and infinitely happy, and you're not making me happy. Well, the reason that kind of discontent comes over the soul is because one expected something from marriage that is not there. Here is the answer to that problem. Remember that no human being in the world is love. God alone is love. We creatures are just lovable, and only to a limited degree. When the creature begins to take the place of the creator and is made to stand for love, then marriage turns to hate. When Mary's expecting a God, for the woman to be a kind of an angel, she turns out to be a fallen angel. The man turns out to have feet of clay. When the ecstasy stops and the band no longer plays and the champagne of life loses its sparkle, then there are some who will call the other partner a cheater and a robber. Then they go to a divorce court. And they say, we're not compatible. 
We want a divorce because we are incompatible. Was there ever in all the world a perfectly compatible marriage? No two people in all the world are compatible, absolutely. Then they begin looking for a new partner. And they go through the same mistake, expecting another wife or another husband to give that which only God can give. They enter into a new marriage. They do not find happiness. Why not? Because they're only adding zeros. The reason that marriage failed was because they refused to see married love as the vestibule to the divine. It is vain to think that another love can supply what the first love lacked. Cows can graze on other pastures, but there's no substitute for a person to whom one has committed his whole being for life. Remember then, you are not to expect too much. What you want is in heaven, not here on earth. Your partner is a fraction. God alone is the whole. Do not expect, therefore, the other partner to give you infinite happiness. There is a heaven but it is not here on earth. The fourth tension is the tension between sex and love. Now, when we speak of this tension, it must not be assumed that the two are opposites. They are not. When we speak of them here separately, it is because we are referring to those who separate sex from love. In married life, the two are to be united. Sex is the highest expression of the love between husband and wife. But when the two are not correctly understood or when they are divorced, then we find these differences. Sex seeks the part, love the totality. Sex is biological and has its very definite zones of satisfaction. And love, on the contrary, includes all of these, but is directed to the totality of the person loved, the totality, namely the person made of body and soul and created to the image and likeness of God. Love sees the clock and its purpose. Sex concentrates on the mainspring and forgets that it was made to keep time. An organ does not include the personality, but the personality includes the organ, which is another way of saying Love includes sex, but sex does not necessarily include love. Love concentrates on the object, sex on the subject, namely on the self. Love is directed to someone else for the sake of the other's perfection. 
Sex is directed to self for the sake of self-satisfaction. Sex flatters the object, not because it is praiseworthy in itself, but rather as a solicitation. It knows how to make friends and to influence people. The ego in sex pleads that it loves the, the other person, but what it really loves is the projection of the ego and the self into the other person. And that is quite a different thing. Sex is moved by a desire to fill a moment between having and not having. It is an experience like looking at a sunset or twirling one's thumbs to pass the time. And it rests after an experience, being glutted for the moment, and then waits for reappearance of the new passion to be satisfied on an entirely different object sometimes. Now, love frowns on this notion. For it sees in this nothing but the killing of the objects loved for the sake of self-satisfaction. Sex would give birds flight but no nests. It would give hearts emotions but no homes. It would throw the whole world into the experience of voyagers at sea but with no ports. Instead of purifying an infinite which is fixed, namely God, it substitutes the false infinite and never finds satisfaction. And one of the reasons why so many suffer from psychosis, neuroses, is because they're in a fruitless and constant search for the infinite in the finite or God in carnality. How different is real love? Real love admits the need, the thirst, the passion, the craving. But it also admits a real adhesion to a value that transcends all space and all time. In love, poverty becomes integrated to riches. In real love, the need becomes a fulfillment. And the yearning becomes a joy. But sex is without that joy of offering. The wolf offers nothing when it kills the lamb because the joy of oblation is missing. Sex receives so as not to give. But love is sole contact with another for the sake of perfection. And to sum it all up, you will feel a tension, therefore, between the romance and the marriage, between the chase and the capture. Is there any way of ever combining the two? To have always the thrill of the romance and always the thrill of the capture. Yes, there is. But not in this world.
the only real answer to this paradox of the chase and the capture is to be found in eternity. When your love leads you back to God, then you will capture something so infinitely ecstatic that it will take an eternity of chase to discover its meaning. Understand that. You will know that as husband and wife, all the love that you have is just a spark, which is to lead you up to the flame, which is God. And your marriage will become like a tuning fork to the song of the angels. It'll be like a river that runs into the sea where the romance and the marriage fuse into one. For since God is boundless eternal love, it will take that eternal chase to sound its depths. At one and the same moment, there will be in heaven a limitless receptivity and a boundless gift. This is what you marry for. For love. And love leads you to God. God love. Hello, Radio Maria family. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen was a master communicator with an unforgettable voice and ability to communicate the message of Christianity to all peoples. He was a Catholic priest with a tremendous knowledge of Catholic theology. We've been blessed to share his recordings through the generosity of our good friends at FultonSheen.com. I would ask you to visit their website to download hundreds of MP3 talks by the great Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Please visit them at www.fultonsheen.com and there you can enjoy the voice of the master preacher of Christ who touched the lives of millions worldwide with his warmth, wisdom, and humor. So please visit fultonsheen.com to start enjoying your own collection of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen recordings. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Well, my dear Radio Maria family, our hour has come to a close here, and we have been blessed to listen to the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I hope you enjoyed these talks on marriage, and uh, please know that you can re-listen to uh, these recordings through our rebroadcast and also on our website on the on-demand page of uh, Radio Maria Canada. And so uh, don't worry about missing a program. You can always catch up a little bit later and share these recordings with your friends. And so until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.